Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first Nonestats podcast. I am your host, John Tobias. People don't know, I uh, teach sports analytics here at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And throughout the years, especially with the ascension when it comes to podcasting, I thought that it'd be a really good idea to kind of do a deep dive, you know, when it comes to analytics and, you know, the impact that it really, really has. But mainly for Charlotte Athletics and also from like a national standpoint. So if you're going to have your first guest, I think it's very important to have the most powerful person that we have here in Charlotte Athletics. And that is our athletic director, Mike Hill. Uh, I think that you're going to find the interview that I had with him really, really um, riveting. And uh, it was very much of deep dive in terms of really learning more about him. Uh, because a lot of times when people see him, they just know him as being the athletic director. But a lot of people don't know, you know, how he pretty much grew up, his ascension into athletics. I think you're going to find it very interesting. We talk about that. We talk about uh, the move from Conference USA to the American Conference. We talk about Biff Poggi, what went along with the hiring process when it came to that. Um, his buy-in when it comes to uh, analytics as well, because with uh, thanks to him and uh, one of his direct reports, Chris Thomason, you know, they're one of the big reasons why we're the only university in the country to where we have a partnership with Charlotte Athletics and students here on campus, whether they're undergrad or grad, like providing analytic support to 17 of our 18 team sports. And also we're going to even talk about like a little rapid fire. We're going to have some fun questions thrown his way. I think you're going to find it really, really interesting. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. All right, welcome to the first Niner Stats podcast. I am your host, John Tobias. And like I said, this is the first podcast that we've had uh, for Niner Stats. And if you're going to have a first in anything, you really want to make sure that you get someone very prominent. I like to think that I've done that. So we're very, very grateful to have the athletic director of Charlotte Athletics, Mr. Mike Hill. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for being here. You know, the thing about it is, is that you know, you've been here for how long? This is your fifth year? Just wrapping up year five. Wrapping up year five. And the thing about it is, is that when people, you know, bring up the name Mike Hill, the first thing that they think about is like Mike Hill, Charlotte Athletic Director. But a lot of times I don't think that people really know like the background of you and, you know, like, you know, your journey, you know, going from, you know, Carolina, you know, to Florida to here. So if you could just, you know, please explain to me and, and the masses, you know, your journey like from when you started out and what got you here eventually to Charlotte Athletics? 
Sure. Well, look, first of all, um, everybody's path is different in this business, you know, so uh, it's, it's always fun, I think, to hear where people started and how they ended up where they are. And for me, you know, my passion for college athletics started out as a kid. I grew up two and a half hours south of here in Clemson. Uh, where my, my parents were teachers. My dad was uh, an English professor at Clemson. My mom's a school teacher. And um, so grew up in Clemson, fell in love with college athletics there, and went on to, uh, to Chapel Hill to get my degree. And I was confident when I went to UNC that uh, a, a career in college athletics was in my future. It's what I wanted to do. And so I sought out to find a job in the athletic department and uh, badgered them until they hired me. Uh, <laughs> I really did. They turned me down twice. And then finally the third time they're like, all right, we're going to hire you, man, because you're, you're wearing us out. So um, <laughs> it was great um, to, to go and to get experience in that. John Swafford was the athletics director there at the time. Wow, who ended up being a commissioner uh, for, for, the, for the ACC. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he was the AD at the time. And uh, Mac Brown had just been hired as the football coach. Dean Smith was the basketball coach. Uh, great experience. And it led to other uh, opportunities for me, including an internship at Raycom Sports right here in Charlotte, right, and uh, which, which was convenient because I had family in Charlotte. I had roots in Charlotte, even though I grew up in Clemson. Um, I had grandparents who lived here, uh, aunt and uncle who lived here, cousins. So I spent the summer before my senior year working at Raycom Sports. They hired me right out of uh, Chapel Hill upon graduation to work for a startup bowl game in South Florida. And I was down there for two years at the Blockbuster Bowl and then um, ultimately got onto a campus, which was my goal, right? Okay. And so um, I, I moved to Muncie, Indiana to be an assistant to the athletics director at Ball State University and had a great experience there under Don Purvis, the AD, and mm -hmm. thought I would be there for a while. But a year later, I found myself in Gainesville, Florida, where I, I stayed for 24 years and uh, went from an entry-level marketing assistant at Florida to executive associate athletics director at Florida overseeing all of external affairs um, and supervising directly men's basketball, men's tennis, of course, worked closely with every sport that we had um, at that time. But those were the sports that I was administratively responsible for. And, and that's what Jeremy Foley was the AD at the time, correct? That's exactly right. Okay. And got so uh, Jeremy was the AD, um, you know, got a chance to work with Billy Donovan and Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer and on and on and on a, a long list of national champion and SEC championship coaches, Olympic coaches, um, great athletes, Tim Tebow, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, uh, Abby Wambach, Ryan Lochte, uh, just on and on and on the number of great athletes and coaches that I had the opportunity to be around at a place like Florida. And then frankly, really helped prepare me for this opportunity. Okay. Very good. Very good. You, t you just reeled off a lot of prominent athletes. I think a lot of times, even like Abby Wambach and like Ryan Lochte, I think a lot of people don't even know that, you know, that they're Gators. Well, I think that's that's true. They know them right as uh, as Olympians, right? And um, but uh, the University of Florida has produced an incredible number of Olympic athletes uh, in swimming and track and field and in other sports as well. And so I think you know, for for all of us who aspire to be the best we could be in the field of college athletics, to be around greatness, right? At the level that that we had the opportunity to be, and not just me, but all of us as staff members, it was pretty humbling um, to be around great coaches and athletes like that. And you say that you're just now wrapping up year five. So let's, you know, rewind back to, you know, like, you know, around 2018, 2017 or so. What was it about this particular position, you know, and, you know, the city of Charlotte, Charlotte Athletics? What was it about it that you really found like very, very enticing? 
it was a total package. Um, it professionally, it, it, it provided a, a great opportunity to step into a program that uh, had a solid foundation that had been laid by Judy Rose and the team here and even her predecessors um, and to build something really, really special. Um, the fact that football had been started here was obviously appealing to me. Uh, the fact that there had been tremendous high-level success in basketball mattered a lot to me because I love basketball, um, and so that's part of my roots. And um, so I, I, ex- I was excited about that as well. Um, the, the institution itself and the leadership of the institution, um, you know, all of that, you know, inspired me to want to pursue the opportunity. And uh, then on the per- personal side – as well, just the fact that I had roots in this community. You know, my parents grew up in Charlotte. I had family here in Charlotte. Um, I had purchased a home in Blowing Rock in the mountains an hour and 45 minutes from here while I was at the University of Florida. Uh, so okay. the state of North Carolina mattered a lot to me personally in this area. And so um, it's rare that you find an opportunity like that where both professionally and personally it seems like a perfect fit. And for me, it was. You know, you and I have talked about this before, and people may think that I'm biased when I say this, but when people actually come to the campus, and, you know, I've been to a lot of different campuses. Um, I know that you have as well. But I think that I can definitively say that this is one of the nicest you know, looking campuses, not just in the state of North Carolina, but, you know, the southeast and the country, you know, but again, it's all about just getting people, you know, like on the campus. And I think that that kind of like changes a lot of people's mindset. So you would agree with that? Absolutely. And and frankly, that's the impact it had on me when I interviewed for the job. Um, you know, I came here and interviewed. Uh, it was actually off site. And so I called a friend of mine who's an alum and said, hey, I've got some time before my flight could you pick me up and bring me out to campus? I'd love to see it. And I was stunned at how beautiful it is. And that's a common reaction. I think when we have visitors here, I love to bring people to campus because they, they, you know, across the board have the same response. I had no idea. It's gorgeous. This is spectacular. Um, And I could, you know, I could recount numerous instances of really high profile sports figures who executives, coaches, et cetera, who have visited here and been just absolutely blown away by the beauty of of UNC Charlotte. Let's talk about conference realignment. You know, it's interesting how, you know, one domino can really just set so many things in motion. So if we like rewind back a couple of years and how there was an announcement to where, you know, like Oklahoma and Texas, they were leaving, you know, the Big 12 to join, you know, the SEC. And if you look at it from a foresight standpoint, it's amazing, like how many like dominoes started to fall, you know, by that, you know, one decision from Texas and Oklahoma. And, you know, eventually that led to, you know, Charlotte Athletics, you know, from Conference USA to the American. Walk me back to that in terms of that process and how you felt that, hey, this would be a good move for Charlotte Athletics to go from Conference USA to the American as opposed to like, let's say the Sun Belt. Well, for me personally, the number one goal that, that, that I wanted to establish with our team here when I arrived in 18 was to, to move our program to the American. Um, it just makes all the sense in the world when you look at the profile of the institutions in that league. Uh, these are all urban-based institutions except for one, and the one that isn't is an in-state rival for us at East Carolina that has a great and proud history in athletics. Right. So um, it just makes too much sense. And – 
a league full of former conference rivals of ours, um, you know, that, that predate uh, me here at Charlotte and certainly, you know, back in the day when, when some of these schools were also in Conference USA and different versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the reality is this, that Charlotte was not a part of that mix yet up until now because we didn't have football before. And the football piece changed that conversation. So um, you know, I'll never forget when the announcement came about Texas and Oklahoma and I met with Chancellor Gaber uh, soon thereafter. And what I told her was that um, I believe that this was a fantastic opportunity for us to, to make the move. And she had known that it was a strategic priority for, for us as an athletics program to, to pursue this one so day. So she had already known. She okay. had known this. She, she knew that, that this was a, a high-priority goal for us. But when the Texas-Oklahoma move happened in the SEC, and, of course, Chancellor Gaber has worked in the SEC. She was at Auburn and Arkansas. She knows how it works. Um, she totally understood and got why the, the domino effect could lead to uh, opportunity for us in the Americans. So uh, it was a fascinating process, um, an exciting thing for this program and transformational, really, for athletics program and for the institution. You mentioned a word uh, a couple of minutes ago, football. So if somebody were to mention like, you know, let's say like college football and like, you know, what's going on right now from like a coaching standpoint, you know, the one person that really comes to mind right now that's really getting like a lot of attention is Deion Sanders. You know, obviously, you know, the move from Jackson uh, State, you know, to Colorado, but someone else is getting a lot of attention as well is Coach Pogey, Bill Pogey. And, you know, the amount of attention and how it's really resonating, not just in the Charlotte metro area, but but nationally, you know, but I don't think that many people know, like how that cultivated, you know, from like the hiring process, because I certainly don't. But I would just love to know, like, what went into your thought process when you had to go ahead and uh, go and look for like a national search, you know, to find like, you know, the um, you know, the, the perfect candidate. We'd love for you to go ahead and just talk about that because, you know, clearly, you know, saying that it's created a lot of buzz is like an understatement, you know? Well, you know, it, it has, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating story, and I think that's part of the intrigue that you see from across the country and not just here in our market about, about this man, what he's accomplished in his life, and what he's already getting done here from a recruiting standpoint. He's delivering on everything that he said he would when we interviewed him uh, back late in the fall. Um, you know, when we set out to hire a new coach, um, we obviously had a long list of candidates that we were interested in, and we had a fantastic pool of mm-hmm. candidates who had expressed an interest in the job. Uh, you know, but as we learned more about about Biff and about his uh, his leadership abilities and his accomplishments, uh, we became more and more intrigued by his ability to come here a 10-year-old football program, and be the accelerant that we need, uh, and as I like to say, really a disruptor. Uh, he's a disruptor. He has succeeded in everything he's done in his life, whether he has been a high school coach, a college coach, uh, a hedge fund manager. The man is a winner, and um, he demands excellence, and he, I, I love what he said in the interview. We had three converse, different conversations, but um, I think at each one of them he reiterated, he said, time is the enemy of all business deals. And it's the mm. same here. He said, we need to win and win now, and we need to demonstrate to recruits in the Charlotte area 
which is a very fertile recruiting ground, as you know. Absolutely. We need to demonstrate that we can win and that it's cool to come play football at Charlotte. And so that's what he set out to do here with this first class. And it's it's uh, heavily, heavy reliance this year on the transfer portal. Uh, there was a ranking that just came out this week, top 25 classes from the transfer portal nationally. And we were the uh, one of only two group of five schools in the top 25. Uh, I mean, we're, we're ranked 13th in this in this top 25 poll. And, I mean, you see Auburn and Oklahoma and Oregon and and you just – and there's Charlotte, okay? And so that's different. That's different. That's caught people's attention. If you look at the, the, uh, the rankings of our recruits from their high school rankings, you know, in our program's history, in over a 10-year period, we had signed two four-star recruits. In this class alone, based on their high school rankings, we've mm-hmm. signed one five-star recruit and 13 four-star recruits. And then – 26 three-star recruits. I saw that he tweeted that. It's an amazing stat. And they worked their tails off. Biff did, his staff did, our, our administrative staff did. Everybody pulled together. It takes a team to make that happen. But I think it's a fascinating story that people are really intrigued by. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, as a matter of fact, um, with my sports business analytics class last semester, and, you know, you were kind enough to speak to my students, I actually – um, made the students watch, you know, the the St. Francis documentary. I don't want to say made because they may come off like I'm like a dictator, but um, uh, I highly require that they watch, you know, that documentary, you know, when he was at St. Francis, because, you know, that could be also considered, you know, like under like a sports business umbrella, because like how he was able to like turn, you know, that team around and like how he was be able to like really build like an incredible like infrastructure that is something that's transferable to pretty much like anything, any type of like, you know, business. And it was nothing short of like miraculous, like how he was able to do that for sure. And it really resonated, you know, with my students, you know, as well. Well, I think, you know, you, you made the perfect point that those skills are transferable. And that's almost a direct quote that uh, I received in a phone conversation with Nick Saban during the search process. I had a conversation, had a conversation with Coach Saban. I had a conversation with Coach Saban about Biff and he talked about the transferability of those executive skills, the fact that he's a great coach, would be a great recruiter, but that those leadership skills in particular were going to be critical. Uh, and I'll never forget this line from Coach Saban at the end of our phone conversation as well, and, and that was, I believe in him. And that really was a powerful message to me. Um, and obviously we hired Biff not just because Nick Saban uh, is supportive of him, but it reinforced – a lot of the feelings that we were getting from the process and so many people who we spoke to about him. That is fantastic. I certainly did not know that about Coach uh, Saban and the conversation that you had with him. Um, you know, whenever a person is in a leadership role, whether it's an athletic director or whether it's a coach, you know, football coach, basketball coach, one thing that you kind of have to deal with, I guess it kind of comes along with the territory, you know, is, you know, criticism or like backlash. And of course, you know, now with the platform of social media, it kind of causes, you know, different people to, to go ahead and, you know, just tee off, you know, regarding like, you know, just being critical, like, you know, certain things. How do you handle that? Because, again, just like any other athletic director, just like any other coach, like how is it that you're able to handle? Do you just more or less kind of take it as, OK, this is just, you know, just a passionate fan you know, that just really wants the team, you know, an organization and uh, athletic program to win. Like, how do you more or less like handle that? Well, social media is here to stay. And um, I'm a big believer in the power of social media, but it cuts both ways. It's a great tool um, to communicate. I think it's important to 
to, 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 as a leader, to use it when necessary to communicate important messages or to have some fun and exchange exchanges with fans and, and to, you know, be seen as who you are as just a real human being. Right. But, you know, social media also, frankly, especially Twitter is I've likened it to, it's like listening into every conversation in a sports bar. Right. <laughs> and so I like that analogy, you know, normally, you know, as the athletics director, I wouldn't hear the conversations that are happening over in the corner of the bar over a couple of drinks between two fans who are upset about a loss, upset about a coach. But Twitter allows them to amplify that message, maybe not use a filter that they they might use directly to me or to my face, right? And so, and that's not unique to me, as you said, it's any AD, any coach. And so I think you have to learn how to manage that. Um, I've gotten smart enough to know that um, – you know, if you're in a tough time, you, you can't sit there and read all the negative tweets. It's just not, it's not healthy. Right. It's not good for your, your, you know, um, it's just not, it's, it's just not healthy. And so um, I don't see it, any productivity that comes out of that. You know, everybody's disappointed when you lose a game or when you lose some games. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're tone deaf. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of uh, displeasure, right? But we also don't need to dwell in it. Um, and you take it for what it is. You know, fans are passionate. Fans care. When fans don't care, that's when you're in trouble. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, for fans, I, I would love – and I'm a fan. I've talked about this in many interviews as well. I'm a fan. I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. Um, you know, and so um, if I'm frustrated with – I wish they'd signed Dansby Swanson, you know. But <laughs> you know what? I'm not in the inner workings of what's going on in the Atlanta Braves organization. I have no idea what was going on between Dansby, his agent, you know, the, the management there. And all I know is this, the leaders at that organization have a pretty good track record, and I trust their judgment, you know, even though I hate to see that happen. Um, but I think sometimes fans can lose sight of the fact that coaches and athletes, especially at this level, are people. They are not professionals, okay? The, the athletes are not professionals. Right. And when, when people take shots at student athletes, it's wrong. That could be your son. That could be your daughter, you know, and they're just finding their way. through. People need to think back to when they were college age. Right. And how mature were you at age 18 to 21 or 22? And how would you handle that if people were taking shots? And I've seen it firsthand at Florida mm -hmm. and here at Charlotte, see how that impacts young men and young women during and after after games. So, and the same is true though with coaches and administrators. I mean, right. we're people, and it's not a big video game that we're playing. And you just plug and play, you know, an, another person into that role. So, um, again, you take it for what it is. You don't uh, ignore it, but at the same time, you have to have an understanding that um, these are just fans um, who are passionate and care. And uh, maybe uh, maybe you've had a cocktail um, and, and aren't using a filter that I mean, they would use. Or two. <laughs> in, in some instances, that's true, and it's not right. always. But I think the the truth of the matter is, many times people don't use uh, their filter, and so I've had to learn that over the course of five years as the AD, um, because you know I used to engage maybe more regularly early on than I do now. I, I don't ignore it, but again, you you cannot for your own sake get sucked into that sort of negativity if something's going wrong. You just mentioned the Atlanta Braves. That did not fall on deaf ears. So are we talking going back to the Bobby Cox days? Like how long you been a fan? Are we going like Dale Murphy? Dale Murphy. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Bob Horner. Oh, oh yeah. Going way back. Dale Murphy was number three? He was. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I don't know he why. Should he should be in the Hall of Fame, by the should, way. But it's ridiculous. A, I totally co signed with you. Biff Pokoroba. 
Yes. Yeah, Bruce yes. Benedict, Chris okay. Chambliss. Yeah, the Braves. You, you've proven yourself. You're when they stunk, when they were terrible, I was a Braves fan. So I'm not a bandwagon Braves fan. <laughs> I loved them when they stunk, and I still love them when they're world champs, even though they're one year removed. I, I, I love Atlanta Braves baseball. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going get to get you out of here with two questions. One is a broad question. Uh, the other one's not so broad. And the first one is is regarding Charlotte Athletics. And, like, you know, your overall goal and expectations for Charlotte Athletics. And what I mean by that is this. So, you know, we've been known as Charlotte, you know, more so than, like, UNC Charlotte like for a while. So, you know, is the goal to kind of, like, have people, like, look at Charlotte like how – Memphis is looked at, you know, um, Cincinnati, you know, Bearcats, you know, Houston Cougars. Like when you hear that name, you are you are automatically like identify like that, like as a city, you know. So is is that something, you know, that you're looking at? And even more so just like Charlotte athletics in general, like your overall like goals and expectations, you know, as you know, you know, go down the road a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Well, to answer your first question, the answer is yes. We want our institution to be seen uh, as the representative, the collegiate representative of this great city, the way you, you, you alluded to with those other schools. And we believe we are going to be that. We are headed in that direction. This move to the American is a critical step in that direction with the visibility and the platforms that we have with ESPN. Um, we also, from a competitive standpoint, want to elevate our game. You know, And it does not happen overnight, even though we all want it to. It takes a lot of hard work. Uh, it takes some ups and downs uh, for sure, but we're making great progress. And I'm really, really pleased to see the trajectory that we're headed on right now as an athletics program, which I think reflects where this institution is headed on an upward trajectory. Um, where do I see this athletic program in the next three to five years? I expect us to be competing for championships in our conference and making NCAA tournament appearances, making bowl appearances. If Coach Poggi were here, he'd tell you that means – going to the college football playoff because that means you've won your conference, right. which is a really, really good conference. And with a 12-team playoff, you now maybe have an opportunity to be in the playoff. Those are our goals, and those are lofty. Those are aspirational. That's okay. I right. think you have to you know, you have to believe those goals to achieve those goals, and that's why we articulate them. Um, certainly want to you know, see all of our sports have a high level of success. It matters to us. Every single sport has a chance to succeed at the highest level. I think that why would you sponsor a sport and not care about its success? You want all of them to compete for championships. It's critical for the long-term success of our athletics program for football and basketball to have high-level success because that is what drives the enterprise. That's how this works. It's not just at Charlotte but everywhere. And certainly we're excited about where we're headed with Coach Poggi in football. And, and I, I know this is year one, but the recruiting class uh, gives you reason to believe that his vision is something that can be realized. And I think that uh, with basketball, you know, we've got a rich history here, and we are not where we want to be yet, and I know our fans are tired of hearing that. But I also see objectively we're the best basketball team right now that I've seen in my five years here. And I think we're headed in the right direction with men's basketball. Um, and my expectation is that um, with Coach Sanchez and, and, the, and the core of returning talent that we have, mm -hmm. um, that we're, we're set up really well for success here for the rest of this year, but even beyond this year in the long term, to getting back to the NCAA tournament. That's what our fans expect. Right. And that's Absolutely. what I expect. I expect us to be in the NCAA tournament, you know, 
almost every year, you know, competing for that shot. And um, it's, it's, it's time. And so I'm excited about those programs and all of our programs. I can't wait to watch our softball and baseball teams this spring, our tennis teams, uh, our track and field team, which has carried the banner for us, an unbelievable streak of dominance. Big time with Coach Olson. Unbelievable job that he has done, and, and Coach Lynn with cross country and, and, uh, and our golf teams. It's just there's so much to get excited about here. And, and uh, so that, that's, the, that's the vision, to be excellent in all things we do and to compete for titles. Well, this podcast is called, you know, the Niner Stats Podcast. So it's more or less like generated really, um, you know, behind sports analytics. And, you know, the one thing that I do want to, you know, talk about and just kind of share with like, you know, like with the audience is that um, I would say, well, actually it was early 2021 to where I ended up reading an article um, about the University of Virginia and how their athletic program that they were trying to like partner with certain UVA students to where UVA students would help provide analytical support to like all of their team sports, so whether it's field hockey, football, um, swimming and diving, you name it. So, you know, two things came to my mind, like, okay, number one, this is really great. And then two, wait a minute, like we have a lot of smart students here, you know, at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte, we have a data science program, computer science program, and a lot of students that have a love and affinity, you know, towards sports and data. And of course, you know, I reached out to you, uh, and Chris Thomason, I pitched the idea to say, like, why can't, you know, we do something like this? And, um, you know, you know, thankfully, you know, you know, you bought into that. Help me out and just help the audience understand, you know, what made you, you like help like buy in and kind of just see like the vision and like the foresight in regards to sports analytics and how undergrad students and grad students here, you know, could help, you know, add value, you know, to like the athletic programs. I think it, it provides a competitive advantage for our teams. Uh, I think it also provides us an opportunity to collaborate with the academic side of our campus, and we love those opportunities because we do not exist without the institution, without the academic side of the institution. That's, that's why we're all here, right? We're not here for athletics. We're here for the institution, the academic mission. And so anytime we have a chance to partner and to provide students with real-life experiences and opportunities to work with our teams and it actually benefits our teams, that's a competitive advantage. It becomes a recruiting advantage. It elevates our institution, which is what our, our mission is. Um, so for all of those reasons, we were very enthusiastic about the partnership. And, and certainly after uh, the initial results feel even stronger than ever and, and are really grateful for it. Well, I certainly do appreciate that. Um, you know, just to make sure that people don't get, you know, this interview mixed up as like hard hitting, like, you know, a 60 minute interview. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to ask you a couple of uh, rapid fire, you know, questions. Um, now, in your household, I believe you have two kids under the age of five. Is that correct? So it's never a dull moment like in the Hill household. So let's say, you know, there's a time where, you know, you and the missus, you know, want to go ahead and get out of the house. If I were to ask you, what would be one or two restaurants or good places to go to where you would say, hey, let's go ahead and go here and just have a good dinner. Any one or two restaurants in Charlotte that stand out? Uh, sure. So there are so many. I mean, how do you narrow it down to two? But I, right. I, two come to mind quickly. If we're going to have a really nice dinner out, sort of a fancy dinner out, we're going to probably go to Finn and Fino okay. uh, in Uptown, which is a fantastic restaurant on uh, the Avenue of the Arts. Um, and then, you know, for probably the place that we go to most regularly or bring food in from is Bakersfield which is I've never uh, been. where is that it's fantastic place it's is it on, in uptown also uh it's on it's in dilworth it's all on east okay um and it's a really really great uh taco joint uh great queso 
we both are, you know, chips and queso hounds and tacos. And <laughs> we love it. So um, we can we can we can slide into casual really qu- as easily as anything. And but my gosh, there's so many great places: Barcelona Wine Bar. You know, just I mean, on and on. Midwood. I mean, I could name a million different places. You know, um, we we love uh, we love to enjoy the city and we love uh, to appreciate what it has to offer. Okay, we're gonna take it up a level. Better burger, cookout, or Five Guys? Oh wow! Um, you know, I, I'm gonna struggle with that a little bit I, because I like both of those joints. You okay. know, but. Um, I'm going to have to trump that and say uh, Brooke Sandwich Shop. I've heard about that, but I've never been. <laughs> yeah. Legit? Th- legit. Local joint uh, towards uh, Noda. Fantastic spot. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm not not against hamburger chains either, but um, this is a really, really good spot, so you should check it out. See, the only thing about it, like, I love those burgers, but they don't love me back. So, <laughs> you know, I don't like the end result. Um, better donut, Krispy Kreme, a, don- a oh. Dunkin'. That is the easiest question you have ever asked me. Krispy <laughs> Kreme by a mile. Three more questions. Um, better place to vacation, the beach or the mountains? Easy question again. The mountains by a mile. Blowing rock. Blowing rock. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Whenever I have a chance to get up there, especially with the family, um, that's just that's restores my soul up there. Sit out up on the deck and look at the beautiful view and uh, you know, this time of year, maybe catch a snowflake or two. And, um, yeah, I love the mountains. Okay. Um, try to take a Tar Heel, um, hat off. Uh, LeBron just broke the scoring record not too long ago. Jordan or LeBron? That's a cute question. Jordan all the way, man. Okay. All right. All right. I noticed how you said cute. Last, <laughs> last question. And it's piggybacks to the Braves. Better pitcher in your opinion, based on talent. I'm going to give you four on talent. John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, Steve Avery. Wow. Remember him? Oh yeah. He was almost kind of like a flash in a pan, but you know, you know, when he pitched against the Pirates, you know, against, you know, Van, you know, Slank and Dyke and um and Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla. Bonilla, yeah. He was a beast. Oh yeah. No, that rotation was ridiculous. So um, based on talent, Mike, in your opinion, between those four pitchers, Avery, uh, John Glavin, I mean, I'm sorry, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. Greg Maddox. I'm, we're probably dating ourselves because, like, we you are. know, the 20-year-olds, <laughs> like, you know, Zoe here, he's probably like, wait a minute, who are these guys? Right. But who would you say? Just on talent. Um, well, I look, the best pitcher of that group was Greg Maddox, all right. right? But the most talented pitcher in terms of just raw talent, I think, was John Smoltz. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fireballer, I mean, just could throw the heat, man. Now, Glavin, you know, was brilliant in the way would he he would, you know, work the edges. And, of course, Maddox did, too. Glavin right. and Maddox both, you know, they probably had a lot of strikes called that were not quite strikes. Uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have that. We didn't have those graphics on the broadcast, thank God, or else it might have been a different deal then. But uh, Maddox was the most brilliant pitcher that I've, that I've ever seen, not just for the Braves. That's a strong statement. I'm telling you, man, he was – he was something special. Don't forget about Randy Johnson and some of these other pitchers, but you're gonna you're gonna still stand by that. Greg Maddox was the best pitcher that I ever saw pitch, and okay. the way he the way he managed a game, uh, and just like looked like a professor, but was the most competitive bulldog pitcher you would ever come across. Um, I remember watching a game he pitched one time against the Pirates. It was a, the game was over in an hour and a half. Now, do you tell me a baseball game you've ever seen that was over in ninety minutes? Never. Never. Well, I saw one. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're talking about efficiency on another level. <laughs> Mike Hill, 
Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be the first guest on uh, the Niner Stats podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Enjoyed it. All righty. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Niner Stats podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview with Mike Hill to where it really kind of took a deep dive into, you know, more about him because a lot of people just know him as the athletic director, but a lot of people don't know how we got to start. So once again, hopefully you guys really enjoyed that. Um, right now is a fun segment that we're going to have coming up and it's called Do You Believe? Do You Believe? And it's a series of questions that I'm going to be asking my uh, my interns, my Niner Stats interns. Uh, I have um, Patrick Bartsley. He's a member of the men's soccer analytics team. I have Jared Gary. He's a member of the football analytics team. I have Kevin Seabury. Uh, that's a member of the women's basketball analytics team. And we're just going to go ahead and just have a little bit of dialogue. So it's going to be four questions that I'm going to ask these gentlemen. And you know what? Just to be fair, I'm going to break it down to one question for soccer, one question for football, one question for basketball, one question for baseball. Uh, gentlemen, how are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Doing pretty, well. Yeah, okay. Good All right. Oh, yeah. All right. So... Patrick, let me start off with you. Of course, yeah. After the World Cup, you know, Argentina beats France. After the World Cup, do you now believe that Lionel Messi is the greatest soccer player of all time? That is a very good question. I think it's very subjective about who the greatest soccer player is of all time. But if I had to choose one, it undoubtedly has to be Messi, in okay. my opinion. Tell me why. I think he's he's won all sorts of trophies. He's won everywhere he's went to, from Barcelona to PSG, even with his national national team mm. in Argentina as well. He's got 1,136 goal contributions in 998 appearances. Uh, now, that was as of December, uh, so obviously it could have changed a lot by now. But the fact that he is averaging 72 minutes per goal contribution, the fact that he's averaging that is mind-blowing to me and he no doubt will go as one of the greatest players of all time well said well Thank said you. those uh, those numbers those are kind of hard to argue against you know especially you know at one point people would talk about like you know ronaldo is always yeah. like ronaldo miss you know he has like his hardware you know yeah. like his world cup like you know cristiano ronaldo he does not yeah you know so again checkpoint very good okay next up jerry gary all right so we might as well talk about football all right might as well talk about football um kansas city chiefs just mm -hmm. captured their second Super Bowl. Okay. My question to you is, do you believe if Patrick Holmes, Patrick Mahomes retired today at the age of 27, in your opinion, do you believe that he is a first ballot Hall of Famer? I would have to say, I would have to disagree. Okay. Say no. All right. Tell me why. Um, as great as I think Mahomes is, I even have like a Mahomes shirt, right? Okay. Uh, I think he's great. It's just when you compare him to, like, the length that he has played okay. compared to, say, like, other people, like Breeze, uh, Rogers. Ben Roethlisberger. They, ben Roethlisberger, right. where they may not, like, they probably only have, like, the one. No, Ben has two, I right. think. But it's like they've had like longer periods of time without question to establish numbers and like to really like put their foot forward into like MVP seasons and why they f why they should be like the one of the greats. 
Uh, and especially, like, with the way the NFL is going right now is that they're trying to, you know, post Patrick Mahomes as, like, the next Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And if we're Yeah, because I actually saw to your point, I actually just saw on first take, they were already asking, hey, is Patrick Mahomes, like, in the GOAT conversation with Tom Brady, you know, and Joe Montana? Right. Like, it's like, okay, wait a minute. You know, like, pump he, your brakes a little bit, he hasn't, you know? He hasn't nearly done as much as them yet. Exactly. And that's exactly. why I feel like he wouldn't be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Now, the one thing I will say is just to, just as, as much as I like you, I'm just going to push right. back, you know, just a little bit. OK, because I'm a numbers person. This is called like the Niner Stats podcast. OK, so if he were retired today at the age of 27, he already has two Super Bowls. Right. OK, two time Super Bowl MVP, two time in NFL most valuable player, NFL offensive player of the year, five time pro bowler. So if you kind of look at it in its totality, like how you mentioned, like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, they only have one Super Bowl. As great as they are, and those two quarterbacks to be first ballot Hall of Famers, they only have one Super Bowl. Like Patrick Mahomes at the age of 27, you know, he already has two. And oh, by the way, this he's played six years. He has played, um, well, he's been in the NFL for six years. He's played five. His team has been in the AFC Championship every single year. You know, that that really does say a lot. For sure. Agree or disagree? No, I totally agree. I just think that when he gets like a either like a third or like he breaks like an all-time record. Right. That's when you're like, okay, that's first ballot Hall of Fame. Right. No, I hear you. I think it's kind of like two separate conversations because I think it's one thing to ask, like, hey, is he a first ballot Hall of Fame as opposed to someone saying, hey, is he the greatest of all time? The greatest of all time, I would definitely go ahead and push back on that. Okay. All right. So we got soccer out of the way, got football out of the way. Let's go ahead and talk about hoops. Okay. Got um, my intern, Kevin Seabury here. Okay. And you would be really equipped to like answer this question by you being from the Triangle area, Raleigh-Durham area. Okay. We're talking about Zion Williamson. Okay. It was just announced not too long ago. Uh, that there was a setback in his rehab to get back on the court. Do you believe that David Griffin, Pelicans GM, uh, Willie Green, Pelicans coach, do you believe that they are concerned about Zion Williamson and his career in terms of staying healthy? Uh, personally, I feel like they they should be, but I feel like they aren't. I feel like because Zion, he, when he plays, he bring, he brings in a lot of like people, a lot of fans, and he actually puts a bigger eye on the Pelicans as a whole. Uh, but like Zion, every year that he's been in the league, he's been hurt, so it's like yes. he doesn't get enough time to really uh, like show his talents and show how good he is. Right. But when he does play, he. He produces very well. Well, you said something interesting. You said when he does play. You know that old cliche that the best ability is availability. So, again, this is a non-assess podcast. So, Zion Williamson got drafted 2019, okay? So, he's been in the league. This is his fourth year, okay? There have been a total of 295 games that have been played ever since he started up until now. Out of those 295 regular season games, we're not including the playoffs, he's only played and 114 so that is 38 percent of the games that he could have played um to me i would think that that would be very alarming very alarming and it's to the point to where like should the pelicans have like buyer's remorse because he signed that max extension you know over the um, over the summer so again it's like the best ability is availability yeah. you know but i saw i also feel like with like 
if they were to allow him to walk and he goes somewhere else and say if he does, it, say if he's able to be healthy, then then he wouldn't like like the Pelicans they would feel like they messed up badly right. because if so then they were they, he was a first round pick for them right and being that you just let him walk for nothing right it's right like that's not good that's fair that's fair all right last question we're gonna you know kind of turn it into like you know Charlotte since we all like live in Charlotte I teach here you guys are students here uh, Jerry we're gonna wrap it up with this. Uh, there's a lot of talk about MLB expanding, a lot of talk, okay? And just like I had in the sports business analytics class that all three of you all are, are students of, you know, there are a lot of uh, particular teams really kind of boiled down into like five particular cities. So here's my question to you. There are 30 MLB teams. Do you believe that Charlotte will be awarded the 31st MLB team? Do you believe that? Yes or no? And tell me why. No, because okay, which is kind of interesting because uh, we talked about it not only in class, but uh, it was also talked about in our uh, Niner Stats Discord. Okay, and when we were talking about it, a lot of people who are from Charlotte were saying that they th- believe that people of Charlotte wouldn't appreciate the team as much. Okay, and they think that Raleigh would have been a better choice for a baseball team in North Carolina. Okay, why? Um, they feel like people at Raleigh would like support it more. Okay. And be more of a loyal fan base. Okay. And um and they're already like with the hurricanes. Right. Um they like support them like crazy. Um even when they were like having like bad years before they drafted those players to make the playoffs. Right. Right. Um so they were saying that Maybe Charlotte might not be the best place for a North Carolina team, but Raleigh most definitely. See, that's interesting because, you know, Charlotte has the Charlotte metro area has like over like a million people. Mm. I know that Raleigh is like the second largest city in North Carolina, but they have like around 400 to like 500,000. You know, the one thing that a lot of people would maybe like push back on you about is that with Charlotte, with Charlotte FC, you know, first year, you know, they're almost they're like 30 MLS teams. They finished number two in terms of average home attendance. Like only Atlanta had more. So when you talk about some of these MLS teams that have been established, like Seattle Sounders, you know, Portland Timbers, mm-hmm. and you have Charlotte, North Carolina here in the South being number two. And oh, by the way, you know, that first particular game, that was the largest MLS crowd in history. They could say, hey, we do support teams here. You know, what do you have to say about that? I think it would just have to be based off of like from there, from there. It would mm-hmm. have to be marketing. Okay. Like just, just pure marketing because okay. what I can say that interested me about Charlotte FC, and I don't even like soccer particularly, no, like no offense, but um, <laughs> it's just they caught me on the aspect of just like this is going to be fun. It's going to be a party. Let's all like let's all just join in. Like let's go do it, right? And like the city just like – embracing that culture because of like they're really tapping in like nightlife culture of like the city right and that kind of that marketing was like oh wow this is cool so how, the way they would market a charlotte baseball team i thought about it in class just a little bit mm-hmm. and i was like okay i guess like the mascot could be like the queen or something but okay. i was like i don't know like i think they would just need to really like 
hammer in like what they're going to be about regarding baseball yeah right no that's a good point and i think other people would agree with you as well um it's just that charlotte fc thing and that's a really big feather like in the city's cap i really mm-hmm. drawing that well but to your point and we'll wrap it up with this you know it's kind of like marketing 101 you can have the best product you can have the best song you can have the best recipe but if it's not marketed effectively right. chances are it's not going to really do well it's all about having like a really good marketing concept and it's packaged nicely for right. sure so that- um now go ahead. And that's why I think Nashville will probably do better because um, with, uh, you know, the Nashville Predators and they're about to have their own, like, uh, MLS team, right? Well, no, they already have, they already have an MLS team. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, Nashville SC. Um, but surprisingly, though, they did not do as well as Charlotte FC. Really? Yeah, they did not do as well. So... Um, it's going to be interesting, like the next year or two, to see what's going to happen. But, uh, but gentlemen, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. No, you would not get extra credit for this, but I definitely appreciate all of you uh, for being on the Nine of Stats podcast, and not only the Nine of Stats podcast, the first Nine of Stats podcast. So, gentlemen, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Thank you.